Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have part three of our Prepping for Sale series, all about prepping for sale, obviously. (laughs) And and today we have back on board uh, the fabulous Fiona Yin from Aspect Legal. Fiona, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Excellent. Now, today, Fiona, we are talking about protecting assets. Of course, we've already talked about protecting people and protecting value. And if you, the listener, haven't heard those, you might want to, after this episode, whip back to those episodes, pull out your favorite podcast player, and you'll find those episodes back in the Deal Room podcast. But today, Fiona, we are talking all about protecting assets. I guess that's a bit obvious. (laughs) Why are we talking about it? Why am I talking about it? Well, some of it's not obvious too, uh, which is is one of the things. But the reason I'm talking about it is the focus on this is about getting the best return. I'm a really firm believer that a good deal is a fair deal that delivers for both sides. So, you know, average purchaser wants to buy a good, well-functioning business that they can operate, grow, you know, and enjoy each seller, they want fair value. So if if we actually protect those assets, we may be able to deliver it and then everybody's in a win-win. Yeah. And and I started off, uh, you know, I was a little bit facetious when I said, you know, of course, it's obvious to protect the assets because I, th- I think the thing is, that, you know, it sounds pretty obvious on uh, <laughs> from the outset, but it amazes me how often the elements of the asset protection perhaps are missed, you know, from, from the perspective, from the buyer's perspective, you know, what is the key value in the business and how is that locked in? Because I think the buyers come at business uh, purchase from the perspective really it's all about risk mitigation. How do they protect the value um, of this business that they're going to pay for so that it continues to deliver the value once it's in their hands, which seems obvious, but it's just, I, I think in many instances, sellers um, don't think about it in that exact way. Yeah. And, and what you'd be amazed at is how often I see assets actually devalued during the sale process itself. And that's the thing. So you see these examples that come up and you know, I I feel for those clients who entered into this idea with a business at a particular point in time and they're exiting it not at its peak, not not at the peak that they could get it to, okay? So as a seller, you want to hand over your business in the best condition it can be. And there's a few things to be aware of when you're working through that whole process that will retain that value so you can get fair value for it. And, and that's that's the trick, right? 
I'm not expecting anyone to overpay anybody or give extra money. This is about delivering the business in the best condition it can be in so you get the best return. And this, I guess, if, if we're also talking about this from um, the buyer's side perspective, I think buy, buyers want to see um, the assets in the business protected um, and, and indeed if they get the sense that this has not been a critical thing in the, in the mind of the sellers, it just introduces a whole layer of concern. And I think, you know, there's very few deals that don't hit some sort of road bump along the way, but the size of the road bump the, um, and the impact of that road bump you know, really reflects on the preparation and, um, you know, the preparation of the business going into sale and and the consideration that has been given to um, to the protection of the this key value, key assets in the business. One of the points that I've got later on is I've why are we going through this process? Well, it's so you know what you're protecting in terms of these assets, but it's also what are you promoting if you're the seller. Because as a buyer, what are you buying? You want to know what are those things that you are buying? What are those key assets? Now, often buyers forget some of them. Business is business. It's busy. It moves along. It changes. It's And then you're, you're trying to maintain your day-to-day business and do a sale process with, a, with an outcome. You know, it's, it's complex, it's challenging, it's an emotional time, it's a busy time, it's a crazy time. So if you know this stuff in advance and you're in a good position to deal with it, then you're in a good position to help guide the purchaser to what they're getting, why they're pay- what they're paying for, what they're going to get, why it's worthwhile doing the deal. So that puts each party in a position of knowledge and control. Yeah, I, absolutely, and and maybe it might be helpful if we if we go through um, a little bit of an outline of what some of these assets are and, and what examples are of where we've seen assets not properly protected um, and versus instances where we've seen it done well. So, um, are there any examples that come to mind immediately for you, Fiona? Look, I have a few. Um, <laughs> well, it's actually a shopping list of them, right? <laughs> but I'll keep them to a few. Um, look, as you know, I'm a bit of a fan of a, of a plan and an approach. So generally the approach I take is identify what the assets are, what are the risks to that assets, and how are you going to protect it? They're the three things that I step through pretty much for any asset or any situation with when we look at protecting asset value. And look, it's really easy to identify machinery and pieces of kit. That's pretty simple. You know, inventory, stock, that's simple. But some of those assets are really hard to identify and people sometimes forget them. And look, there are intangibles and some of us, you know, we've all heard of intellectual property. That gets thrown out there a lot. But what are those things like your service standards and your reputation? They're tied to your staff and your employees. So that's an asset that you need to really think about. So I had an unfortunate example where one of our founders tried to do the best thing they could by the business. So they told their employees quite early on that they were going through this process. So by the time the business was actually ready for sale, they'd all left and moved on. 
And they were one of the key assets. And so there's this real balancing act. And it's not about hiding and misleading people. It's about protecting and instilling what you want. Now, to me, if you have a great service standard and reputation, which is delivered through your employees, why wouldn't that continue under the new owner? Why would the sale process disrupt it? But it's also about that communication piece. You know, when you start putting uncertainty in, strange things happen. So that's really a good example where one of those assets was really devalued just by, you know, a little bit misguidedly going too early. And and it's interesting. It, it, I think it's such a good example because it's not just about going too early, but it's also about um, dealing with it perhaps in the wrong way. Because I've seen many successful examples of business owners that have um, had these conversations with key team members. It's probably not necessarily the conversation that you need to have with the entire um, you, you know, the entire personnel team um, within the organisation, but uh, but with key staff members and then, you know, getting those key staff members on board by incentivising them to to be part of the deal and then, and then bringing them along emotionally in terms of who the buyer will be. And I think some of those can be really successful examples if it's not communication on its own without an answer because i because you know in this people side people hate not knowing and if they're told in advance there's a big change coming but it's just sitting as a question mark in their mind rather than as a plan that everyone's working to together and you know as i said it can also be a great idea to incentivize them to work together then it it just will cause concern rather than this big ship moving forward all together united. Uncertainty is a killer for everybody. So you need to address that uncertainty. So how do you make somebody feel that going through that uncertain process with you is worthwhile at the end? And that's where a well thought about and well implemented incentive and tying them into the process is really important. And look, it ties into one of my other favorite assets too is business knowledge, okay? That's one of the things that that, that the purchase is looking to buy. And that knowledge, you know, some of the sales that we've dealt with, we see people wanting to move on and retire. They want to take their knowledge and leave. That's okay. But they need to start early, giving that knowledge to people who can stay, okay? And that's part of that prepping process to find that asset, instill it, make sure that asset is there in the business. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and it's also about finding, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a lover of the uh, systems and processes within a business, but not to labour this point, but I think it's about that installation of knowledge in people, so that transference via staff and team, but also transference via, you know, capturing it within your systems and your processes, you know, getting it down, which I know many people look at this as a painful process, but my belief is that it really can, um, it can improve the sale price, but it can also do that key thing, which is allow you as the founders, the owners, the sellers to escape quicker from the business than if it's not captured. 
Yeah, no, look, that is fundamentally one of the really important protection tools for that for some of those assets, right? It's not just money or agreements that make a difference. It's actually processes that change things. It's doing things and getting in early. So processing, getting some of that corporate knowledge into the processes, into manuals, into procedures, you know, that gives you protection. And then the other, then, then, you can promote it. Here's our way of doing things. You know, we have. So Aspect Legal is a lovely example. We have an Aspect Legal way of doing things. If someone wants to come and look at us, they can see what they're going to purchase. And that's a great promotion tool as well. But it's what you're selling. It's taking that, identifying that asset and protecting it. And that's exactly another way to protect it because it's not just people. These assets are wonderful things. You've just got to identify them and protect them. Mm, Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've talked about um, team people. We've talked about business knowledge, which I, I, you know, I I think absolutely right, Fiona, is such a good one because that is an absolute classic example of something that many people just don't think about in prepping for sale or or not prepping for sale, (laughs) as the case may be. (laughs) What else can we talk about here? Okay. This, because I'm a lawyer, is one of my favourites, but it's the key contracts. People have these relationships and, you know, it's great when you're the founder, the, you know, the director that's been there forever. You're moving on. How do you maintain that relationship and pass it on? How does a purchaser come in and know that that relationship's going to be there? Okay, and that's where it comes down to identifying your key contracts and what they say. Um, You'd be amazed the number of businesses that they go, well, this is the key, you know, a key customer. Oh, we have no contract with them. They're not tied to us in any way. (gasps) The lawyers fall off the chair. (laughs) Have to deal with it. (laughs) And, And that's one of the things, right? So what are those other assets? So it's not machinery. It's a lovely piece of paper, but it's worth its weight in gold. You've got to make sure you've got those key contracts, you know. You'd be amazed the number of times that, oh, the contract expired last year and because we were going to sell, we just thought we'd go month to month. Well, what is the purchaser buying? A month of a contract? And and that's that thing, you know. I think in uh, podcast one in this series, we talked about really using your influence and your skill in those early stages before you've hit that sale process to get these things tidied up. If you're going to go to, let's say, a landlord and say, we want to enter into a new lease because we're selling the business next month, Mm. (laughs) it's going to go down well. That's you know that that is such a um, such a good point. Um, I, I think number one, it's about having the contracts in place to begin with, because I, I think this is this is probably by far the biggest issue we see. Uh, you know, there might be few contracts uh, here and there for uh, maybe for for key clients, key suppliers, but across the board, we really want to see across the board contracts. Now, and then the value locked in wherever possible. Now, many people say in response to this subject, well, you know, our clients aren't going to lock in for a period of time, but it's not just about locking in for a period of time, although obviously that would certainly be something that would really help drive value at sale. But if if you don't think you can get that, then there's lots of other creative ways of going about, um, you, you know, locking 
in value in a way that allows a buyer more certainty that that asset in the client base or in the supplier base, whatever we're talking about here or all of them, um, will we'll survive post-sale. And, and this also can critically align with not just the amount that they are willing to pay for the business, but the way in which they will pay it. So, i.e. I, the upfront versus deferred payments and earnouts and all of those sorts of things can be dealt with creatively at the beginning just by a higher emphasis on this review of how do we lock in key value through our contracts. Yes. Look, one of the key things with those contracts, so you can be creative. So if you're talking to your supplier, okay, they're not going to commit to, let's say, 10 years of supplying product to you. But if at that point in time you're the only person in the territory that they supply, there's no skin off their nose to say, hey, um, we need to update the contract because it's, you know, doesn't match what we're doing at the moment. Um you only supply to us, can we make it an exclusive supply agreement? All of a sudden, the value in that contract's gone through the roof. And you're not actually asking to change the world. What you might be asking is actually to match what's going on. Because there are some wonderful things that people have in their businesses that they forget. And if they're not written down, you can't really promote it. And that's part of what this is. You know, if you have a key key customer that spends X amount of dollars, you know, maybe they'll agree to a minimum spend agreement. You don't know, but look at what it is that they're doing and say, oh, look, I just want to put some boundaries in here for whatever reason. You know, talk to the talk to the customer and say, oh, look, we're looking at maybe some refinancing. Can you always spend, you know, 100000 every month with us? Let's hope. Um, can we... Can we lock in a minimum supply of $80,000 a month into this agreement just to help us, you know, just to formalise what you're already doing and so we've got some certainty? All of a sudden for a purchaser, you look at a minimum supply agreement that has a minimum requirement, you're seeing cash flow. You're seeing things that you're taking what the business is currently doing and putting it into a way that they can continue it when you're not there. Exactly. And this is where we see the really strong multiples come in when we see, you know, this type of setup in the background. Um, and, and I guess I just wanted to throw in that in this pre-planning phase, uh, I, I think it's also a really good point. You, you know, I mean, we're talking about stepping back, having a look at all of our key, our, our contracts as a whole. Um, and seeing, working out how we can use them to lock in the key value and the key assets in the business. But it's also a good time to look at some of those risk clauses and some of those clauses that might have relevance to any sort of difficulty in transition and integration. So, you know, we, so it's time to look at your liability clauses. Um, it's time to look at your changing control clauses, you know, because that, this is when, those sort of elements, and it might be worthwhile having a bit of a negotiation. There might be things that you're willing to give up in order to get a better outcome in these contracts under those sorts of headings, um, you know, so that when you get into that DD phase, that the buyer sees less risk there. Yes. Look, I had a, it reminds me of a matter we had recently where we had a, a sale that was going through and we had to review the change in control clauses in a couple of really key contracts. And in that instance, we were saved because a change in control was a change of 50% or more 
and we were selling 49. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have seen those clauses written at 20% or 30%. So it's really being aware of what's in there because, and, and it's for those key assets, right? I, look, I, I do love contracts and I'd like everybody to have a contract for everything, but it's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not silly. But those key assets, identify those things that you are likely to be selling when you sell your business, okay? So step away from your product or your, what you sell to your retail. But if you were selling this business, what are those key things? Make sure they're they're real and will survive the sale process intact. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and so we've talked about team and people. We've talked about business knowledge. We've talked about key contracts. I, I guess it will be remiss of us not to talk briefly, at least, about intellectual property. Yes, your IP protections, and you, you know we chuckle a bit, but I, IP is one of those areas. You know, for some businesses, perhaps you know, it's not as important as others. Most businesses, IP really is a critical asset that business owners just don't really properly realise until they're well involved in the sale process. No, and I smile because you can't not look at it. You can't just assume it's taken care of because too often it isn't. And that's the thing. If you have certain IP, protect it. If you've got a business name, get it registered, okay? Because then you've got it. As a trademark, we mean. <laughs> yeah, correct. No, but it's also and making sure, you know, make sure you are fully protected. I had a lovely example recently where the buyer and the seller, because um, ASIC allowed it, basically had the same company name. The sale hadn't gone through, but they'd taken on the other side, the, they'd taken on the seller's company name and put it in their company name. Wow. And so basically the two companies had the same name. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's a few problems there. <laughs> there's quite a few. But it happened and you sit there and you go, now that sale actually went through and it was very successful and everyone was very happy, but you don't want that to happen if it's an opportunistic tyre kicker. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The other component I think of intellectual property that is particularly missed is where where intellectual property uh, is quite important, but it's not in uh, not the type of IP that is registrable. So, say for example, it's not a trademark, it's not a patent, whatever. Um, there can be real concerns from a buyer's perspective about um, confirming chain of title, so confirming or being able to prove that the seller was in fact the creator or controlled the creation and is the owner and able to sell. And, of course, you know, we'll see lots of warranties and indemnities around this, um, which should be in and of itself a bit concerning for a seller if they're not sure about the chain of title. But in many instances, buyers will want more than warranties and indemnities, they'll they'll want to know or see the chain of title now. And, and and if you're not sure what that means, essentially what we're talking about here is showing that the creation was either by your employees or by external providers or contractors who have then assigned those intellectual property rights over to the organisation. So buyers will want to see those assignments quite often, or they want to, uh, or uh, you'll be um, tied up in fairly stringent warranties and indemnities that should be of concern to you if you don't know that these assignments are in place in the background. So I think that's something as well that really needs to be considered. 
Yeah, it's one of those things that people forget, right? In your employment contracts, it's really good practice to have something that deals with intellectual property that's developed by your employees that says, if I come up with something wonderful and new whilst I'm working, it's my employer's and that I, through my employment contract, assign it because someone will ask, who who owns it, you know? Um, people laugh about the story about the guy who invented Fredo Frogs. <laughs> I haven't heard this story for you. Oh, you're telling me the story. Out. <laughs> now, unlike the person who invented Mickey Mouse, he didn't get paid a lot at all because he did it at work. He was working in the Cadbury factory and apparently he picked frogs because mice are a bit too scary. <laughs> and he designed the Freddo frog and it's been one of Cadbury's best-selling things for so many years and it was designed by an Australian working for Cadbury during his employment. So he didn't get paid a cent extra. He just got paid his normal job to be the creator of Freddo frogs. And it's it's quite amazing. But you go, okay, well, that sounds fair enough. He, you know, he's working in a chocolate factory for a chocolatier, of course. But the other side of it is... People see that think, oh, he was hard done by. Well, no, he was being paid and this, that and the other. And so you want to be protected, okay? You want to show your ownership. You want to be able to show that that chain of title to show that what you're selling is yours. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, IP, is there anything else that you want to throw into this list, Fiona? Actually, you, you know what? I, I feel like we could we could talk for hours about this. Perhaps our listeners may not be as interested <laughs> as we are. And I do have a colleague who's much better at it than me. <laughs> I should say that. So, um, look, IP is a wonderful thing. You make sure you protect it because it's so worthwhile for your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need any help, give us a call. Well, um, so we've talked about people, business knowledge, key contracts for suppliers, clients, um, uh, location, premises, um, and also intellectual property. Um, I think, look, look, there's probably a lot more that we could say here in relation to protecting assets, but um, in the interest of brevity, I think that's probably some of the, the key areas that we've covered. Um, so I, I think we've had a really good three-part series here. Hopefully we've given a really good insight into um, just the sheer volume of things that should be thought about and, and the benefits, the absolute benefit of getting in early. I guess probably to round this all out, Fiona, let's talk a little bit about um, about the integration perspective. So what do we do? We um, What do we need to be thinking about in this prepping for sale with a mind that, you know, we once completion happens, we need to make this all work um, for, for the new owners? My... My big view when I was looking at this was to, to step back and say, what are you selling? How do you protect it? And what are you doing? So that's they're the key things. What are the risks? How am I going to protect it? How am I going to do? And so the big thing is each of these podcasts all relate very much to one end game. And that's a fair value, good deal that keeps everybody happy. That's smooth, easy, quick. Don't know if they're ever easy, but that gets it all done. And so the key to me about integrating all of it is, is all of these things require you to look at them early and look at them holistically. So when you're looking at your assets, right, you're looking at your contracts for one reason, you're not going to look at them for looking at your contracts for assets and then look at them for personal guarantees and then look at them. You want to look at it holistically and go, okay, 
what's this contract? What's the pros in it? What are the cons in it? What's the value to me? How do I protect that value? And what are the risks to me and how do I mitigate them? It's that real holistic approach that you want to take through the whole process. We've divided it up into three bite-sized chunks because they're different considerations. But with the right advisors and with everybody on the ball, you can actually do it in a much more streamlined process. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be hard. I think, as we've said again and again and again, it's um, it's better and most effective when it's done early. Um, and, you know, I think when we're talking about early, we really do mean years in advance. But there, there are many things that can still be done six months out from a sale, you know, um, and and so it's not an all or nothing. It's not, well, if you, you haven't approached it a couple of years in advance and it's all too late, um, it, it's it, it's perhaps a sliding scale. I think the earlier the better, but there's still, even as you're going into a sale, there's still lots that you can do even six months out. Um, so it, it's it's about, and it's just about, I, I think, you know, if you were sit down probably and listen to these three parts, you might get a little bit overwhelmed. Um uh, as a business but it's not as hard as it sounds it just it's about stepping through a process in logical form um, and then um, ha- having the right people who can point out the, the right things to be doing because there's lots of things that you can be doing but it's all about effective and efficiency in the approach um, and it's, it's making sure that you're using your energies in the right way um, and that you're tackling the biggest things first um, and th- making the most difference I I think with the energy that's being put in. So, um, yeah, but but it's it's never too late. But early is better. <laughs> yeah, I guess from my perspective, it's year to year a bit of housekeeping for the future. So let's not make it too big a chunk. Um, but it's just that continuous improvement in the housekeeping. Just keep the housekeeping on track, and then as your as your sales becoming more of a reality, stepping it up as it's appropriate. So if you've got that back in your mind, you don't renegotiate every contract just before, you know, when there's renegotiation of a contract, maybe think about it. So it's it's just slow and steady. And then, you know what, it's never too late to start, you know, and, and that's, the, that's the other side of it is, you know, it's never too late until that document signed, you can always change the structure to increase your value if you can get the agreement and negotiate it. So it's never too late to step back and go, well, what if we did this? Or what if I changed that over there? Would that make it more palatable? You know, there's things you can do a week out, there's things you can do six weeks out. There's always something you can do to address those road bumps. It's just really about identifying, engaging when you need to engage. So you don't need to throw too much time and resources early, but be mindful of what you can do so you don't miss those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes coming in early, you, you know, we can put in place some simple things um, just like, you you know, it's something to record all of the contracts that are in place and expiry dates and, you know, key terms and stuff. You know, so there's little things that can be created along the way that are actually really easy to add to, but, um, you, you know, just take a, a bit of forethought. You're right, Joe. And one of those things you were talking about earlier was those processes. Some of those things that you might do with that we've talked about in a sale context are good in a business as usual context. They will actually help your business be more efficient in these early, you know, without needing a sale process at the end. You will get return from them. 
That is so true. That is absolutely 100% true. And um, I'm sure our listeners are sick of a saying, but <laughs> a business in a sale-ready state is a better than business to run anyway. But um, And certainly becomes a joy for us as advisors because, uh, you, you know, I, I think it's where we can have the most impact. But, um, look, it's been hopefully you, our listeners, found this three-part series uh, useful. Um, as I've said in the past, we will be having soon an episode um, focused specifically on the buy side and prep on the buy side. But I think each of these episodes have been relevant in any event on the buy side to help identify some of those things that could be an issue from the buy side as well um, when they're not in place and help you work out what a good business looks like. Fiona, I just want to thank you so much for coming on board for this three-part series and uh, we'll be back, I guess is the message. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jo. I'll do my best not to bore everyone. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, that's it. You've just made it through part three of our three-part series, all about prepping for sale. And of course, today we were talking all about prepping assets for sale. I think it's important to note we didn't really have the time and you probably didn't have the interest (laughs) to listen to all of the types of ways that we would look at locking in assets in that prep for sale piece. But we've covered off some of the key elements. Of course, what the key elements are can change from business to business. So it is one of those things that really needs to be tailored to the particular business that you or your clients are involved in. Now, if you haven't heard the other episodes in this series, then please pop back and look at the history of the Deal Room podcast and there you'll find part one in prepping for sale, all about protecting people and part two, all about protecting value, i.e. the dollars in the owner's pockets at the end of the day, which is also relevant to buyers. If you're after a win-win all round, um, which can, uh, as we say many times, be useful for the buyer as well to um, understand. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We provide a number of services for businesses that are looking to buy or sell, obviously in prepping for market for businesses that are looking to sell um, either now or into the future and also for prepping buyers um, as they move into an acquisition. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today and you haven't already subscribed, then I recommend that you head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit the subscribe button. And why not leave us a review if you enjoyed it? We'd be ever so grateful. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. 
We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 